Over the past year, we've seen unprecedented levels of fiscal and monetary support globally, a combination of U.S. President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus aid, the U.S. Federal Reserve's determination to suppress interest rates for longer, and a possible post-COVID-19 consumer spending boom give market participants enough reason to believe that a spike in inflation is imminent. And today, we speak to Chief Investment Officer of PSG Wealth, Adrian Pask, about investment risks in the current environment. Hi, Adrian. Just picking up on that subject, what are the current risks to investors in the current environment? Hi, Kieran, and thanks for the opportunity. There's quite a few risks around. I mean, you know, investing in markets, there's never no, no risks. But I think what we are definitely experiencing in the current environment is, is elevated levels of risk. And not just referring to to what we saw last year, but also uh, looking ahead. So what we saw last year was very much risk um, induced by by volatility. And typically why that's so detrimental is that from a very practical perspective is that it tends to shorten investment horizons quite a bit. So, you know, everybody has a plan until the markets get too volatile to, to stomach and then plans change. So from a wealth manager's perspective, that's that's obviously quite detrimental to, to wealth creation. So if you look at what happened in the industry, for example, last year, a lot of money at the peak of, of the currency weakness, uh, a lot of money still going offshore and also simultaneously money going into either cash products or, or very conservative fixed income products. So that just speaks to the fears that were in the minds of, of investors at that point in time. The problem there is that if you look at inflation, for example, and the levels of, of cash that's being rolled out um, into the economies, um, if you're investing too conservatively, you obviously run the risk of not beating inflation, especially with interest rates at 50-year at lows. And the other thing is obviously for many of these investors who disinvested at the bottom of the market, um, missed the recovery, essentially just crystallizing the, the losses. So, so that volatility is always detrimental. The volatility in itself is, is not a problem. The volatility creates investor behavior that, that becomes self-destructive. The other thing that we've seen is, you know, historically we've always seen as capital starts to enter economies and markets, you know, things tend to get a little bit more on the adventurous side. So historically we would have seen IPOs, for example. This time around, we're seeing a whole new thing. So Bitcoin's been been around for a while, but we are seeing is is other types of speculative um, behavior. And um, you know, um, Archegon Capital is one to think of. The other would be uh, the Robinhood GameStop saga, and the list goes on. So these speculative type investments, I think, are catching investors at the moment because obviously, with interest rates low, um, investors are quite open to to take on other types of risks in an effort to to get some some more yield or return out of their investments. But I think for us, first and foremost, the biggest risk looking forward would be the risk of inflation, um, or, or maybe more accurately, the interest rates that will the interest rate hikes that will will follow any inflation blowout. Let's just pick up on that emotional investing for a moment, because every time there's been a shock to the market, as we saw last year with the COVID crash, people make very rash knee-jerk decisions, and it does seem to be emotionally driven. What do you think emotional decision-making, is it a big risk in the investment markets at the moment? Yeah, I think for as long as but um, volatility will ensue, that risk will be there. You know, from another perspective, you can say that, you know, it also creates opportunities for other investors. So ultimately, you know, you get investors that make mistakes and, and, and other investors profit from it. 
so it's it's very important to understand what's going to determine that you end up in the right camp. So typically, I mean, if you've got a plan, and uh, it sounds easy, but sticking to it, um, even if there's a lot of uncertainty like last year, and, and people are quite unsure of whether there will be global economic recoveries, and, and what the world is going to look like three months down the line and even three years down the line. And for you to then still hold on to your, to your equities that's there to generate long-term growth, it takes a bit of courage. But I think, you know, there's always things that you can look back on and, and, and remind yourself of. I mean, uh, we've seen multiple crises over, over many, many years and it will happen again. And, you know, for some explicable reason, uh, we'll see the same mistakes being made once again. And those that typically tend to profit are the ones that see the bigger picture, that's willing to stick to the plan, regardless of how hard it gets. So, you know, it's always much easier to keep that investor behavior in check if you firstly know what to expect and and secondly, how you need to react when that event takes place. And and that for me is really the, the essence of, of good wealth planning. Um, you know, someone should sit with you and coach you and talk you through it um, and and just calibrate the thinking, focus you on the long-term plan, as difficult as what the, what the short-term pains can, can be. All right, let's pick up on another point you raised there about the threat of rising inflation. A lot of people are concerned about this, particularly given the size of these stimulus packages that we're seeing around the world at the moment. Should we be concerned about inflation and why? Yeah, like I mentioned, I think it's it, inflation in itself is not really a problem. You know, it depends on, on how drastic it is. You can always have a, you know, wartime Germany type inflation, which is obviously you know, very detrimental, uh, you know, a neighboring countries. And, you know, is a, is a good practical example of how inflation can be quite detrimental. But what we, we're talking about here is, is, is still reasonably moderate hikes relative to that. So um, maybe a, a, a more plausible, although still quite, quite extreme situation is, is what we saw in the U.S. In, in the early 80s, where the Falker just stepped in as, as Fed chair. Uh, in, inflation was at around at 11% when he came in. And a lot of that was stoked on by, you know, Vietnam War expenses. Um, you know, typically through war periods, you've got supply side shortages around food and those kind of things that, that create inflation. And at the same time, the oil price was, was accelerating and, and that created inflation. And in the first six months um, of, of his tenure, inflation actually rallied further higher up to 14%. And at that point in time, he, he decided to pull the trigger and, and, and increase interest rates, which quite astonishingly peaked at 20%, you know, six months later. And you can imagine what happens to the economy if you sit with interest rates at 20%. You know, you, you will find that these unemployment will pick up. You'll see bankruptcies pick up because people can't afford debt anymore. You'll see, obviously, you're going to choke the economy in terms of GDP growth. Markets won't love it. You know, fixed income markets obviously hate um, interest rate hikes to, to, to that extent. So a lot of negative consequences from that. So if we were to see inflation pick up and interest rates to follow, it can be quite painful. And, and it needn't be as extreme as the, the example I just gave you. It can be even just going towards what the Fed has um, pinned down for itself as a long-term normalized inflation rate of 2.5%. If you need to go from where we are at the moment, near zero to 2.5%, to the implication for asset classes are quite severe. Um, if you if you stress test a, a 30-year US bond, for example, typically they lose about 20% in value for each 1% increase in interest rates. So, you know, just broadly speaking, 2.5% increase would, would equal uh, uh, 
a 50% loss on the capital value of, the, of that bond. Um, and similarly for, for equities, um, you know, typically analysts dis- discount um, the, the, the cash flows of, of the companies as the profits they make with the discount rate, which is typically the shorter end of that same curve. So again, there, if, if that's to accelerate, um, it would ultimately imply lower valuation for, for stocks, which means all these stocks that have rallied up um, onto higher multiples, like, like, the, like the tech stocks, the ones that are pricing in cheap capital into perpetuity, those could, could very in, well end up suffering quite a bit. I mean, if you look at inflation in South Africa and in the U.S., it has been fairly subdued up until now. The expectation is that interest rates will start to rise, but we haven't seen a pickup in inflation as yet. Why not? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question. I mean, if you look at, at the various regions at, at around the globe, inflation is, is a mixed bag. So in the U.S., it recently went up from 1.4 to 1.7 last month, but still the 1.7 level is, is still where, we, where, where they were coming into the COVID crisis last year. So it's still around that just below 2, 2%. South Africa is actually coming down. It went from 3.2 to 2.9. And, and you'll see similar things um, um, a, a, across most markets, and I think too too exotic just yet. But we think you look at the amount of capital that's been introduced in the in, in the global economy through trying to stimulate the economy. Um, it should have led to to some type of inflation, or or, or at least um, indications of inflation ticking upwards, even if it didn't mean massive hikes just yet. But Currently, there's just no evidence of any additional capital that's flowing around. And what we've seen is that although M2 capital, which is the, the broad money supply in the economy, has, has completely exploded and ballooned out, what we did see is that uh, so has the savings rates in the, in the U.S. You know, if we go back about six months or so, savings rates were around 35%. And that's just all these checks that, that's being handed out and, and, and money that's being, being supplied as, as a relief measure and Ultimately, the hope is that they go into the economy to support the economy as just not reach the economy. So what they typically say is there's no, no velocity of money in the economy, which is to say that money isn't circulating. People aren't spending it. It's not being collected and then being spent elsewhere and so on goes, goes the, the circular. So And part of that's obviously explained by the fact that we've had lockdowns. And so some of it is it's back to the psychology element. And people aren't comfortable you know, spending cash on luxury items at the moment. If you've just been through a period where you lost your job or your business had to close down, if you, you hang on to, to, to whatever you can hang on to, it's not an absolute necessity, rather, rather hold back. And I think there's a lot of that behavior playing in. But I think as consumer confidence tends to pick up again and the economy opens up again, we'll see that money start to flow into the economy. So I think there's a lot of pent-up spending currently sitting in the, in the savings pool. All right. So given the risks that we've just been talking about, the, the emotional risks, the risks of inflation, the, the risks of rising interest rates, what should investors be doing now? Yeah, it sort of leads back to, to some of the opening remarks around thinking long-term, you know, how volatility can can, can compromise your, your behavior as an investor and shorten your horizons. And all of this plays in quite neatly into a common theme at, around, you know, looking ahead, where we think it's very important to think long-term at, at the moment um, because um, we're sitting with interest rates that are, are very, very low. So your probability of generating inflation-beating returns out of those um, very low. Um, and yet that's where capital's going. And the other one is capital's going to offshore markets. And if you look at what the impact could be on some of the 
the the more preferred destinations of capital over the the last few years has been tech stocks and and bonds. I mean, bonds have now been in a in a bull market for for 40 years, um, and at, at that trend has to reverse. There's a natural cyclicality to to most investments that that must be overlooked. So, I think you know, looking ahead, we must try and and find the opportunities where you see valuations. Think long term. Don't just follow the crowd. Avoid all the speculative investments that's currently being associated with with this phase of the market. And I think if you could just stick to those things, you'll you'll do uh, yourself a good service. I mean, it's about avoiding mistakes at this point in time. I think. And also, I guess using multi-asset fund managers that allocate assets across the the different asset class spectrum would help. Yes, for sure. I think it's quite strange um, that 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 you've seen uh, through the industry that. That people are quite happy to to take the asset allocation component in their own hands and allocate to to cash as as they see fit or allocate offshore as they see fit. Um, I think if you look at the caliber of multi-asset uh, fund managers in in the country, so managers that that manage portfolios across the spectrum of asset classes and can allocate on your behalf, I think that feels to me like a much smarter move at this point in time. We've got very skilled guys, as I've said, and it's a very fluid environment at the moment that requires a lot of discipline. I, I don't think investors should be taking on that responsibility uh, themselves. Uh, so we, we did see prior to this cycle of, of money flowing offshore and, and into into money market, there was a big uptick in multi-asset funds with exactly that thinking, people thinking, you know, the fund managers are better equipped to, to deal with this on, on my behalf. And I think we'll see a return of that, of that trend uh, come back. We're going to leave it there. Thank you. That was Chief Investment Officer of PSG Wealth, Adrian Pask.